1: Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have social justice advocate, lawyer, and ESPN commentator, Angela Ra. Coming up, I talked to Angela about growing up in an activist family, connecting her roots in Ghana, and being a game changer as a black female leader. Up next, Angela Ra. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, refer a friend, refer a family member, a coworker, leave a five-star rating. What's been your favorite episode? Who's been your favorite guest? What's been your favorite theme? This week's theme is build your character. There's a lot of discussions these days about building your brand and professionally. That's a big part of generating awareness about your strengths, talents, and expertise. But before you design those business cards, before you send out those tweets, before you put yourself out there to the public, remember, You have to first build your character. What kind of brand can you actually offer if you haven't worked on establishing what you actually believe in, what you stand for? I worked extremely hard on my own in life to figure out what my actual core values are. Because I know that, that's going to make it easier, better, and solid for me to make decisions as a leader, a father, and ultimately... A human being at the end of the day you build character when no one is watching it's a bridge between who you actually are and who people expect you to be like Chris Tucker once said in Dead Presidents if I could be who everybody wanted me to be when everybody wanted me to be there I'd be confused so take time to know yourself know your values and then Look for ways to take action to uphold those values in your daily life. My next guest truly embodies all of that. Angela Ra is an ESPN commentator, an established attorney, and a self described bringer of truth who never fails to spark much needed conversations about the state in America. Coming up, I talked to Angela Ra. About her upbringing in Seattle, our mutual friendship with wellness coach Queen Afua and her thoughts on everything from the status of voting rights to the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion that would overturn Roe versus Wade. Up next, Angela Rye. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. My next guest is an activist, a lawyer, political commentator, ESPN contributor, and award-winning host who's as fly as she is thought-provoking. You may see her as a regular guest on the hit morning show The Breakfast Club going toe-to-toe with political pundits on cable news, on YouTube, challenging people about their Blackness. Angela Ra is intelligence personified. And no matter where she is, she is somewhere uplifting Black people, being a champion for social justice causes and being a great example for young women everywhere. It is my honor to welcome the amazing Angela Ra to the Renaissance Man Podcast.
0: Thank you, Jalen
1: Rose. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate the love. What was it like growing up in Seattle? And what would you describe your household as it related to
0: political activities? Well, before we start, I think I should just get a little more comfortable. So first I have to show you my black socks. Yeah! What up, though? Yeah. And oh, yes. No! No! Yeah! And my and my and my Jalen Rose, Michigan jersey. Okay, now I can answer this. That's question. love right there. Oh my god. MVP. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so first I wanna say my household growing up, um It wasn't just about politics and culture and race, although it was centered around a lot of those things because of the parents that I have, but it also included sports. And there was an intersectionality, shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw, who created that term, around those things. Um, We didn't talk about race and culture and economic progress absent sports. We didn't talk about those things absent politics. Because my dad and my mom recognized that all of those things converge to create the environment and the world that we have today. So um, fortunately, I grew up with parents who allowed me to have an opinion and to express that opinion really early on. And to this day, we still have a very um, animated discussions. My mom is more quiet, but my dad and I still have those very animated discussions. So
1: in following you on social media, and by the way, you're the jersey. The jersey, you're the MVP of all time, just of all time. And I have to say this, though. Like I saw you post one time a picture of you as a youngster at a political rally. And like me playing basketball, it was in my blood. My father's a former player. So the politics was something that clearly was a part of your childhood. So talk to me about the iconic picture that you posted.
0: I think the picture you're referencing is um, the, it was a march to get the national holiday for Martin Luther King. Mm. And so um, that was right before the, before before Congress, you know, um, considered and passed a bill to ensure that Dr. King had a national holiday. And my dad, um, has some very deep spiritual connection to Dr. King and his teachings, and so there are a number of things he's done in Seattle, from getting a street name change mm. to getting King County renamed Martin Luther King County, um, to that that particular march and um, activation around getting that federal holiday. So I think I was three mm. in that picture. My mom is holding me. My cousin Mia, who, who we were raised like sisters. Is in that picture, and um, yeah, I think it's really meaningful to have something like that, so you know that it's in your blood. And before you had the opportunity to say yay or nay, yes or no to any protest, you were going. So, like church, <laughs> absolutely.
1: But that 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 is extremely incredible because as an athlete, you know, a lot of times when we see someone going to play a sport, we look back and say, wow, they put a basketball in their his hand when he was really young. And so clearly you were on the path to be educated and your education went way beyond just, you know, what you were learning at school curriculum. So for you, at what point did you decide you want to pursue a degree in law and what made you pivot toward politics?
0: So I knew from a young age, like before I could spell it, that I wanted to be a lawyer. I had a Cabbage Patch scrapbook (laughs) that asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And there were two things. It was a librarian, and that's literally how I spelled it, like a berry, librarian, because my aunt was a librarian, and a lawyer, which I spelled L-O-Y-E-R. And I, I don't know, I think that there was something about what my dad did in terms of Um, fighting for justice that was inspiring to me, wanting to protect what was in the best interest of our people. And then I was always told that I was good at arguing. So I was like, oh, I should go to law school. And then back in the day, they had like family court on TV and, you know, all these other little random shows. Well, they still have them now, but back in the day they only had white judges. So I was like, I want to be a lawyer. Um, And so I said that from a young age, the kind of law I wanted to practice oh man, it changed a lot over time. It was, you know, I wanted to do trial law like Johnny Cochran. Mm. Um, I have his book up here somewhere, but mm. I, I definitely wanted to be the black. I said, I want to be the, the female Johnny Cochran. Oh, it's right here. Hold on. I can't reach it. Anyway, it's up there. But um, yeah, like I wanted to be Johnny Cochran. I saw Jerry Maguire. I was like, maybe I should be an agent. Mm. I had a really unfortunate situation on the altar at church around why I wouldn't be an agent because I was not going to be trading those kinds of goods to represent anyone <laughs> right after church that happened. Um, and then what else happened? Uh, in law school, it was clear that I was good at trial law. Um, but I had the opportunity to intern for Maxine Waters. And mm. in that internship, um I saw the intersection between social justice and activism and politics. And I think that's really where I fell in love with politics, because I saw it touching the people in real ways, in ways that we don't see a lot of our elected officials touching the people. And so um, that's what made me fall in love with the process. Falling out of love with it a couple of times, but she's definitely the impetus for that.
1: Well, we appreciate your courage and your voice because oftentimes in Black history and history in general, like men get great recognition for being like change makers, but oftentimes we overlook the Fannie Lou Hamers or the Dorothy Heights or the Ella Baker's, the game changing agents that were women. You've had the opportunity, as you mentioned, to learn, work in politics alongside Maxine Waters. So during your time in the political landscape. What are some of the biggest challenges that Black women face as leaders?
0: I think just being heard. There was a moment that went viral where Congresswoman Waters was um, running. She's the chair of the Financial Services Committee, so she was running a hearing. And she had to say, reclaiming my time, which is something that's very normal but it went viral because it, it struck a chord, I think, with a lot of black women who lived their lives not feeling hurt. Mm. So she did that and it resonated with so many of us. Um, so just being hurt, um, being um, taken seriously, you know, for a lot of women who are even a little bit attractive mm. in whatever cool. field or space they're in, people often think that because you have um, because you are you have beauty, you don't have brains. Mm. And I think that, you know, is a tremendous disservice to so many beautiful, brilliant mm. Black women. Um, what else? I think that um, historically, when we look at someone like Shirley Chisholm, for example, who ran for president in uh, the 1972 election, and there was a big convening of um, Black leaders in 1971 in Gary, Indiana, Called the National Black Political um, Conventions, the, the last time that we've all gathered to, con- you know, develop an agenda, and in that meeting, Shirley Chisholm was neither invited nor endorsed. Mm. That a convergence of Black leaders actually endorsed a white candidate, Walter Mondale, who was running for president. And so, how much does that undermine what we're trying to do? So again, going back to that term intersectionality. We have to, you know, carry the burden sometimes of what it means to be black and a woman and to be taken seriously when you know you might be the best. And even people who are your peers and supposed to be your family from the same culture don't see it that way.
1: What about voting rights? Like you were a champion and did an amazing job at, in theory, using your platform and your voice with so many others to help affect change. But now we see that the other side is trying to reclaim that real estate, so to speak, as it relates to the election. What are your thoughts on what's happening with voting rights since the previous election?
0: Oh, it's horrible. Um, with the Supreme Court uh, makeup that we have right now, which is a six, three majority of conservatives, um, folks who would deem themselves what is called a strict constructionist Um holding very tightly to what the Constitution says, not necessarily treating it as a living and breathing document. And what this court has done is completely decimate voting rights. Um, it's, it's changed a little bit, but the ideology hasn't changed. And by it's change, I mean the people. So we just, of course, nominated um, and, and got confirmed a Black woman named Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. But even with that, Katanji is one vote. Mm-hmm. So it's still a six-three majority of people, six people who likely won't agree with her. And so, around voting rights, first in 2013, there was a the gutting of the Voting Rights Act, where they um, got rid of Section Five, which was a pre-clearance standard for states that had a pattern and practice of discriminate discrimination around voting. Now, the formula that they used to pre-clear states is gone. Um, last year, there was kind of what was the gutting of Section Two. There are state uh, legislatures all over the country who have called for voter ID, have cut back on early voting days, have done a number of things to make it harder to vote. Georgia decided that if you give someone water in line, you would be charged with a misdemeanor. So there are all kinds of things that have been done um, to set us back. And I wonder, you know, when I think about Congressman Lewis um, or Amelia Boynton-Robinson, walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and Diane Nash, all the folks who worked for our voting rights, um, many organizers and activists on the local level who I can't name, what they would say when they look from 1965 to now and see if they would be pleased. And I would be willing to say that they're not.
1: What about Roe versus Wade and the leaks that we're hearing that there may be an overturning as it related to that law?
0: Yeah. um, Well, I believe in a woman's right to choose. Um, I think that there are some places where judicial opinions, um, legislation, and any other human being besides your partner, yourself, and your doctor don't belong. And that's in um, vaginas. Like That's Mm -hmm. not your space to belong. And you would not be happy if we were telling you, oh, guess what? Viagra supply about to get cut. I'm introducing a bill for that. Right. Or I'm gonna force, I'm gonna force someone to have. No, I'm serious. I'm gonna right. force someone to have a vasectomy. Right. Wow. You have way too many baby mamas. I'm gonna force you to have a vasectomy, whatever it is. Like, I would be willing to bet you that the ways in which this was being legislated and um litigated before courts would vastly change. And so I just think that it's a yet another um, telltale sign that women are not seen as the equal to their male counterparts. Um, birthing people are not seen as equal to um, those who are the uplifters and upholders of um, the patriarchy, so to speak. So I um I'm. I, I would be lying to you if I said I'm hopeful. I, I'm not surprised that they've taken um, the stance that the fact that there was a leak is more of uh, an offense than what was leaked. Mm. And I, um, I really applaud the person who shared it because the, I think the country needs to know we are in dire straits and have been. I would say since the 2016 election, really since its foundation. But I think the kind of outward boldness that we've seen um, from white supremacists and folks who are their their champions and cheerleaders mm-hmm. are, you know, it's at a whole other level. It has been since 2016. They've been emboldened by the last president.
1: You do some fun content as well on YouTube.
0: Black history facts, holding people accountable.
1: So when you shoot those, like, where are you and how do you come up with the content and what goes into like the execution for those?
0: I got one for you. It's called "Do You Know Your Black Facts, Man?" The question is, <laughs> who wrote the Black National Anthem?
1: Oh, this is for me. Mm-hmm. Who wrote the Black National Anthem? I don't know.
0: Oh, letting the people down. <laughs> Fab five, Jalen, letting the people down. That is so sad. <laughs> well, the reason for this is because um, right now, and I and I have. Um, her book around here too. The children's version is over there, but Nicole Hannah Jones, a brilliant Black woman um, who's now a professor at Howard Law, wrote a book called The 1619 Project. Before it was a book, um, did a huge project with the New York Times Magazine called The 1619 Project in 2019, commemorating the true history and the foundation of America, arguing that its um, mm-hmm. beginnings were really in 1619 rather than in 1776. That has upset some folks mm-hmm. who do not want to hear the truth. and as a result of that, they have began to remove books from schools. They have fired teachers and administrators who are teaching facts to our kids um, all throughout southern states and in some northern states. And I think that do you know your black facts Main is a fun way to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. That we don't know. Mm -hmm. That too many of us don't know our history. Um, Mm -hmm. Folks who are supposed to be allies also don't know our history. And so why are you removing books from shelves if we can't even tell you what the facts are? Mm -hmm. Like, At least let people have the opportunity to learn the truth instead of running from the truth because you're afraid of that accountability. And so that is, that's why um, it's a fun way of doing that. But I was talking to my team earlier. I was like, I think we might need to start telling people at the end what the answers are, just in case they're not going to do an internet search after to figure out what the truth is. By the way, James Weldon Johnson is your answer. James I'm gonna Weldon that Johnson, know that. thank
1: you for the knowledge. I will step my game up. <laughs> I have to let you know that it's it's funny that you say, like, give them the answer at the end. I'm a huge fan of Soul Train and Don Cornelius. And you know, when people used to be at the board, he always made sure they got it right so they wouldn't look bad at the end of the show. So I like that twist that you're considering. I also saw you be a a, a voice for Britney Grinder. And the WNBA season just started. What do you think about how we as a country and or the WNBA or higher in the fact that she's been detained for over eighty days as we have this interview.
0: Um, hmm. I can tell you that if Brittany were my sister or um, my child, um, I would be, or like her spouse. Like I can't imagine what her her wife is experiencing because it just feels like I know that time, that time is going by slow for me. Mm. So for someone close to Brittany, a teammate, I can't imagine how that feels. What I wish is that the sense of urgency didn't come because someone else was returned. I wish that sense of urgency was there from the beginning, Um, from the administration and other people. I think that they're trying to handle it delicately because they don't want to make sit- the situation worse for her. And that's the right thing to do. But also, like, we need to be doing everything at all costs to get Brittany back. Like, she was just overseas trying to ensure that she could help take care of people. And God knows any Black person in this country that makes a little bit of money, you understand mm. what that's like. You are carrying the full burden and responsibility for your entire family. And so I want to ensure that we're supporting her to ensure that she can do that. Like endorsement deals, where y'all at? Like everything that needs to happen so that she can be here and stay here unless she chooses to go back. That's what I think we should be working to set up at this point. But I know now there's been an increased sense of urgency. Bill Richardson, who was the former ambassador to the UN, also a former energy secretary under Clinton is now working on um, her case and and the diplomacy efforts around that. So hopefully that will be great. He's amazing at what he does. Mm -hmm. And I look look forward to her safe return.
1: You've also talked extensively about your trip to Ghana and friend of the show, Queen of Four. What did Ghana teach you about freedom? How did you meet Queen of Four? I met Queen of Four through you. (laughs)
0: So thank you so I'm a friend great. of the show. I'm like, she was my friend first. Absolutely.
1: I met her through you. I'm glad you don't mind me sharing that with the public because <laughs> the one thing about the multimedia entertainment space, we as individuals, it's important for us to share resources. Yeah. And, and I She's truly amazing. appreciate you for introducing her to my life. She's been a game changer in so many ways. And yeah. clearly, she's been there for you because she got you to go to Ghana.
0: That was not hard. I um I just wanted to shout her out because there are so many people that when they're saying you know they're having a particular issue or they want to shift nutrition or they're trying to do a detox or they're you know whatever. I'm always like you guys have to Queen of Food, so that is my pleasure. Um, around Ghana, we were having a phone conversation after the release. I think it was the the re release of sacred woman, which is sitting right over there. I'm not going to keep grabbing my books. But um, when we were doing the book talk, she ended up saying to me, oh, I'm going to Ghana in two weeks. And I was like, I'm going. Mm. And she was like, you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I want to go. So that was easy. I've been dying to go to the continent forever. And I think one of the things that um, COVID-19 taught us is that life is really short and tomorrow is not promised. And and you have the opportunity to reconnect with your ancestors. I have more Nigerian DNA on my my um, mm. my on my DNA report, my genetic screening than um, Ghanaian, but I do have some Ghanaian. It was good because I remember landing well, when I was landing and it was this red soil and I never seen anything like it. But in my body, it was like, oh, this feels so familiar. And so the tears started streaming. And I was thinking my ancestors, like, man, like, Mm. this is so incredible to be feeling like I'm back home. And then when I got off the plane, they were like, "Akwaba," or they said, welcome home. And that's what "Akwaba" means, welcome. So it was an incredible journey. I think it was a game changer. I encourage everybody to go, including you.
1: Yes, I need Um, to. I've never been to Africa. I'm disappointed to say that out loud,
0: actually. Well, you can change it. You can get a plane ticket and go. They'll be waiting for you. They'll be happy to have you. So you might even see some kids rocking some Michigan Jalen 5. Jersey. No
1: question. That would be love. And, and and by the way, you've been a fashion killer. And known for your machete-type sure. tongue. Have you ever felt pressure to cold switch? And at what point did you say, like, y'all going to get these verses, these bars today? I'm going to be unapologetic.
0: Ah. Uh, yeah I don't think that i i don't i don't think that I code switch well if I try to code switch out I, I don't think I do it well. I don't feel the pressure to do that i I think it actually is kind of suffocating. I've been in a lot of environments you know in capitol hill on capitol hill um work- you know working in the summer um at law firms in law school where I felt out of place mm. you know I remember there was a golf outing during one of my summer associate years and I couldn't play golf, but I was like, well, if I can't play, I'm gonna be the flyest thing on the golf course. <laughs> and I remember even like my outfit looking like it was out of place. But I was like, well, I still can't hit this ball. So we're just gonna see what has, you know, what happens. In terms of like going in and being like, oh y'all gonna get this, not really. I think the times where I've been most like that on air, it is because I felt personally attacked. Mm. So I normally don't like come at somebody like that unless I feel like, like I've been on air when somebody's like, you're not a real lawyer. What are you talking about? You know, um, I've been on air with somebody who said, um, well, you were at the CBC. What happened to all the money? We didn't, we didn't even touch them. Like we didn't touch resources. That's not how congressional offices are set up. There's member representational allowances. And I was like, you about to get sued for defamation. Mm-hmm. Say one more thing, mm-hmm. you know, cause I take that very seriously. And I'm trying to think of when else, I don't think I've ever gone at someone unless I've felt attacked. And when I do, I will protect and defend myself at all costs.
1: So I have to get back to the queen of full part because she was very inspirational and motivational, not only to me, but when she came on the show. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people that listen to this show, watch this show, that draw inspiration from her to draw inspiration from you in particular, Black women. So what is some advice you have for them that are aspiring to just navigate through the journey of getting through today and chasing your dreams and chasing your
0: goals? Um, hmm. I think first I would say be true to yourself. Like there's a, um, I don't know, is that Shakespeare or somebody? Maybe you know that by me. But it's like um, to thine own self, be true. I think that was a Shakespeare line. I gotta find that. But I think that's the first thing. Like you can't be real and keep it real and be honest with anyone else if you're not first true to yourself. Mm. So what are the things that you love? What are your passions? What is your mission? You know, how can you align with yourself first? Um my holistic therapist Yadi always says, be home within yourself. And I think that there's something really to that, like being in your body and understanding who and what you are. I also think um, having a village around you, um, I say, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. And I say it takes a village to sustain an adult Mm. um, because you can't go it alone. Like you have Mm. to have people around you who not only hold you accountable, but encourage you um when you when you hit a rough patch and um check you <laughs> when you <laughs> take them in through one, so I think that's another piece and I think finally, there are a lot of young women, a lot of young people generally who ask me like how do they grow their brand? There's this big emphasis right now on brand building and not on character building mm. and I think the most important thing to do is not focus on building a brand for public consumption, but mm-hmm. rather building character so that when you are public facing, you can sustain all the mm-hmm. attention, all of the gifts that you the do, all of the, all of the doors that your gifts open for you. When you get there, you're able to stand there and sustain and maintain throughout whatever pressure comes your way.
1: Wow. That's incredibly sad. And again, I appreciate you taking the time to join me. But before I let you get out of here, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. Ready to do this?
0: Let's do it. Faster than your other
1: guests. (laughs) You're back in Seattle, hometown, stomping grounds for one night. What's the first restaurant you're hitting up?
0: Oh, probably with Leonetta and we're going to John Howie's.
1: Name a young, rising voice in politics that everyone should know.
0: Ooh, that's, that's cold, cause there's so many, gosh. One who I think people need to watch on the national stage, um, she's not talked about as much around the squad, is Ayanna Presley, congresswoman from Boston.
1: That's why we have you, because you're gonna teach us who's next. You get the call from Oprah, and she wants to interview you. You need a dress. What designer is your go-to when you need that look to be your best?
0: Sergio Hudson.
1: What is the biggest piece of advice you would tell young people looking to pursue a career in media?
0: Be true to yourself.
1: And lastly, and certainly not least, the most important question of the show. Who's your favorite member of the Fab Five?
0: <laughs> I'm not getting in this. Yes. I already stood up and showed you my jersey. <laughs> Thank you. You're not Thank biased you or lot. anything. I'm just on your show to you get you kicked very off. Very much.
1: For your voice, your knowledge, your wisdom, your strength, stay encouraged. We appreciate you for joining the Renaissance man.
0: Thank you. Last, last, call. Last, call. Last, last
1: call. Last call. I'd like to thank Angela Roth for stopping by the podcast. She's such a great example of someone who raises her voice in a space like sports activism. Her passion for keeping Brittany Griner's detention in the public conversation is inspiring. And right now, sign the petition: Wearebg.org. She's been wrongfully detained do what you can to secure her a speedy, safe return to the United States. But one thing that stuck out to me about Angela is her drive to share stories, lessons, and absolute facts about Black history using her public platforms. If you haven't checked out her YouTube channel, I recommend her video series, Do You Know Your Black Facts, Maine? During our interview, She even reminded me, I still have a lot to learn about so many historic African-American figures who paved the way for all of us. But she doesn't just stay in the past. She uses her knowledge as a lawyer, as a leader, to advocate for deeply important political and racial issues in today's world. It's one of the many ways Angela stays true to herself. How are you staying true to who you are? Figure out how to live your life in the most authentic way possible. Because that's how you end up experiencing your full power. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.